It's sure good to be back at the dispensable church. Uh, as many of you know, well, let me, let, me, let me get hooked up here. Gail and I, uh, and Gail, John, Jordan, and I took a little vacation uh, up to the great Northwest, <laughs> where the sun never shines. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just kidding, Northwest. Uh, <laughs> we had a really great time. I'll tell you a little bit about it as we go along. But we're going to continue right along this morning with uh, what is a happy person. <laughs> Guaranteed to get through this within the next, what? <laughs> Six months, right. Uh, we, this morning we will not review. Uh, we'll skip the review. <laughs> But you'll remember that <laughs> that last time we were talking about uh, Manny's ministerial school in Hamburger Heaven. Uh, many of you didn't realize what a great cook Manny was. Uh, and we were talking about simplicity and the great talks that Manny used to give his two students. <laughs> uh, while flipping the patties and toasting the buns and so forth. Um, and I quoted you his great words that there is no right way to make a hamburger. Now, and this is of course what we believe. We believe that there's a right way to make a hamburger. We believe there's a right way to do everything from the time we get up in the morning. We think there's a right thing to eat for breakfast. And how many times have we changed our mind about that one? <laughs> uh, a right way to fast if we're not going to eat breakfast. A right way to uh, be treated in the morning. To be spoken to. That we have our due in the morning. Our family never gives us our due in the morning. Nor do they give it to us in the evening. <laughs> nor do our co-workers give it to us during the day. Nor is the policeman polite. Nor does anything else behave quite right. Because we know what right is. And so often life is nothing but a series of curses. Because we think we know how everything should go. But remember what Manny said, there is no right way to fix a hamburger. Now, you might want to know what the reviews were of Manny's food. <laughs> the word that we heard used most often was uneven. <laughs> and people, I want you to understand that this, is, uh, this may be applied to you. As you go on your spiritual journey, if you make the peace of God your only goal, you may appear to be a little uneven to the world. You can either have consistency in God, or you can have consistency in the world, but you cannot have both. And that's why you, you must never translate spiritual truth into 
human behavior. Because if you do, you will try to have worldly consistency. You will try to appear to be gentle or peaceful or kind or happy. And we all know people who try to appear to be happy, don't we? <laughs> so. But Manny, do you see... Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. We, uh, so we went up to uh, these islands off the coast of Washington called the San Juan Islands. I didn't realize that the uh, Spanish explorers reached those islands first. I was thinking that the French and the English had somehow come, I guess, but I guess they got up there first because a lot of the islands are, a lot of the places up there have Spanish names just like uh, we have here in New Mexico. So Lopez is one of the islands and so forth. And as happened to me the other time that I took a vacation since I started this church, um, <laughs> I started thinking that I was gaining weight. They ought to make a little fold-up scales that you can take, you know, one you can stick in there with the toothbrushes and so forth. But they don't do that. And uh, those of you who have ever had a weight problem, as I have had most of my life, know this feeling of you, there is no way to check up. You see, I, we, I had bought some new clothes for the... Uh, well, I, we had bought short sleeve shirts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was really a joke. <laughs> uh, so I had layers of short sleeve shirts on. <laughs> this is probably what gave me the sense of added weight. <laughs> And there was this sense of mounting adipose, of the little, the little fat cells getting together and mating all over my body. <laughs> now, I've told you before that if, for example, you're, if you make the peace of God your single goal, and if you apply that to diet, you might call it dieting for peace. We'll make up some bumper stickers. I think we can make a few bucks on that one, don't you think so? Dieting for peace, we'll put them. Um, you can put that, <laughs> one of the deacons has on the back of her bumper. Uh, it's not weird enough for me. Is that how it goes? <laughs> so you can put it right beside that. <laughs> and they'll know you're weird if you have that one on there. So... If you're dieting for peace, so you see, if the peace of God is your only goal, then you do all things for peace. And so you don't do it quite the same way that the world does it. You're dieting because you want the peace of God and not in order to lose weight. Now that seems insane, doesn't it? You run your business not in order to keep it afloat or to keep it from going bankrupt or in order to make a profit. You run it because you wish a business in Christ, a Christ-filled business. Your family, you wish to be a family of Christ, a family in the spirit of Christ, not a better family than other people, not a handsomer or better dressed or better educated or anything else family. And so, how you form your home life 
how you select your car, how you do anything you do for peace, and therefore you may not do it in quite the same way that the world does it, and you may be uh, given the uh, little term of uneven. So if, for example, you were dieting for the sake of peace, you would start out in the morning and you would diet for a while, and in the middle of the afternoon you might stop dieting because you no longer had the fear that you were uh, overweight. Now, what happened to me was I, I was convinced I was putting on mucho pounds, and I came back. I tried on my trusty old pair of pants that always tell me what's happening in that particular region of my body. And they fit just fine. Well, I had explanations for that. They had become stretched over the... <laughs> From having been tried on so many times, they were getting, this, is, this was no proof at all. So I did the other thing that I almost never, ever do, and I'd advise you not to do it, because it was the morning time, and I got on the scales. This is not a time to do that. This is not, a, this is not the way to start your day. And uh, I only do this maybe once or twice a year, only in extreme cases, do you see? And the scales showed no... Uh, weight gain. <laughs> well, I had an explanation for that. <laughs> and this was a very old scales, and the springs had gotten loose. Of course, I didn't know whether or not loose springs added or subtracted weight. I wasn't <laughs> sure of that. And here, they were the same. So I decided to diet anyway. Now, the reason I did that was that there was this fear, and it, was, it had been wedged in my mind through uh, several days of thinking about this. And so I knew that if I were to cut back on my food, that it would eliminate the fear. And so I did cut back on my food for about two-thirds of the day because by about late afternoon, I didn't feel fat anymore. I didn't feel like I'd gained weight. And so I made up for it. <laughs> uh, that is uneven. That is insane. That makes no sense. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to decide that you're going to diet. You're supposed to decide how long, how many calories or what foods and so forth. And you're supposed to stick to it religiously. <laughs> no matter what happens. And what will happen, of course, is that if you try to do that, you will either gain weight or lose weight, or stay the same, which is exactly what you would have done if you hadn't gone on the diet. <laughs> but almost everyone falls off the diet. They don't stay on it quite long enough. They don't adhere to the foods quite strictly enough. And so the ego has simply set up a defeat through this worldly consistency. We do not want worldly consistency. We want to know our Father. We want to know the innocence of each other. We want to know that we're all exactly alike. Exactly alike. That there are no differences. I talked to Jerry and Diane uh, after they had been here, and I was so happy with how happy they were. They felt so loved and so blessed while they were here last Sunday. They, they felt no difference. 
they didn't felt they didn't feel like an interloper, some people who just came in town. They felt part of a family, and they wanted to come back. So I said, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, we're, we're trying to work that out. Jerry has a very uh, tight schedule and for the rest of the year, so whether or not that will happen, we don't know. But he felt part of a family. Why did he feel that? Because of no, enough of you knew the truth that he was part of your family, that there is only one family, because there's only one Father, Mother, God. This is what we want to see. This is the truth. The hardest lesson there is to learn is that the truth is true. But if you take the truth and you try to apply it to the world, then it, it taints it, it divides it, and it loses its truthfulness. Because the world is not truth. And so when you try to apply truth to the world, then it must, it's like, Chopping off the legs to fit the bed. Is that gruesome enough? <laughs> uh, we, were, we were being very gruesome up there with uh, John. Uh, he was collecting every dead thing there was on the beach, you know. Uh, so that image came to mind. Um, <laughs> now, in this... Point number seven, as you know, we're doing ten of these things as to how, what constitutes happiness, what is a happy person, what are the principles of happiness. And number seven, as we said last time that I was here, was simplicity. And that's how Manny came into the picture. You see, because Manny would start the patty, Manny would not get caught up in whether or not it should be a round patty or a square patty, you see. Manny would simply make the patty the way he would want, so he might make start out with a round patty, and he might end up with a square patty. Or, as Manny would say, curvilinear and rectilinear. This is why we called him Dr. Manny. <laughs> he would talk like that. But that's because halfway through the patty, he decided it would be a nice change to now make it squared, you see. It is a part of simplicity, and it is the part that I thought we might talk about this morning, to avoid extremes. It's very important to understand that simplicity in and of itself, or the avoidance of extremes, will not give you the peace of God. It won't even make you happy. The only thing that it will do is it will make your way easier. But that is a great deal. We spend much time manufacturing problems. And this is a good exercise. You might want to watch this in the coming week. You might want to notice how often you take on problems. We all do this. We take on problems that we don't need. We have a few problems that we are not beyond, that must be dealt with, but it is surprising that once we notice a problem that needs dealing with, we will manufacture two or three or four right on the spot. 
Have you noticed that when you're late, that's just the time when you start thinking that the house needs to be cleaned up or something needs to be done first or that you need to get to sleep? It's time for you to get to sleep. You're going to get up in the morning. And that's just when you'll start two or three projects that can't be finished. There's no way you're going to finish them. Or you only have so much time in the morning and immediately you undertake something that doesn't need to be undertaken. Now, we do the same thing with our mind as we go through the day. And you might want to notice this in the coming week. Notice how often you take on a problem that you actually don't have to take on. Now, maybe someone else would have to take that problem on. Maybe they're not beyond it. Maybe they're not at the point where they can see the foolishness and the insanity of it. Just as you were not, and I was not, just a few days or a few months before. But you are in a position now where you don't have to take up this problem. This is an amazingly freeing insight to realize how much difficulty we heap upon ourselves. Difficulty upon difficulty. We heap it on. If you'll just stick with the problems that you do in fact have, it will be sufficient. (laughs) So avoiding extremes makes it easier. Going to extremes makes it more difficult. (laughs) I love these little axioms, you see. These little truths. We'll hand that out later. You see. Um, and we go to extremes because the world believes that happiness lies in extremes. And so as you look around this world, you will see everyone seeking an extreme of some sort. They think if they will go to the extreme of this particular area of life, it will make them happy. And they look around and they see the people who have the extreme and assume that they're happy. There was a this little island that we stayed on, the island of Arcus. It's a very gentle, peaceful little island. It has a very low population. And we were there at a time in which the uh, tourists and the summer people had not yet come. Have they come to Santa Fe while we were gone? They've reached it, reached here all right now. <laughs> but um, there are those of us who stay through the the juniper pollen and the biting gnats and the and the winds of last month and the coming and goings of winter and so forth and the potholes and so forth. And there in Santa Fe is a very gentle town. There is no better place than Santa Fe. It's just absolutely, one, it's perfect. Santa Fe is as close to perfect as you can get in this world. And that's a long ways from perfect. (laughs) 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 And there are just many, 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 many places um, on this globe that are peaceful places. Santa Fe is one of them, and this little island is as well as many of the other little islands up there, is obviously one of them. There are just many places like that. It is not necessarily that there are spiritual hot spots, that there are are places where 
um, the elite of the celestial-minded are being <laughs> drawn by, by some uh, divine force. Uh, the attraction of uh, like auras or something. It's not, it's not that that goes on. It's just that there's an openness. In certain places, there's an ease. It's not even that you will hear a great deal of spiritual talk in a place that's peaceful, but you will have a tolerance. Each person can seek his or her own way. There's, there's a forbearance. It's not that you won't hear arguments and that there won't be disagreements and there won't be issues and so forth, but of course there will. But for example, in this place, we noticed that it was a, it was a, a quiet place. It was a happy place as places go in the world, until we visited the Yacht Club. <laughs> At the Yacht Club, there was much anger. There was yelling. There was some guy who, uh, his motor had gone out on his yacht, and uh, he had had to lower his dinghy, or whatever you call it, <laughs> into the water, and he was... And he, you could tell this man had, it had been many years since he'd had to row a boat. <laughs> and he was having to row in, and he was letting the whole bay there know about this. He was yelling at his children, and he was yelling at the people on the dock, and he was so forth. And, and that was just one of a number of things that was going on. Why was it going on there and not the other places? Because of the extreme, it was very difficult for people to be happy in a place like that. Not that it's wrong to have a yacht. There's nothing wrong with having a yacht. But uh, Gail and John and Jordan and I walked down the, 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 uh, the uh, docks and looked at the yachts. And a very interesting thing happened. After we had walked maybe 10 yards we started wanting a yacht. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to a new car show or a boat show here in New Mexico? Have you ever gone to a boat show and started wanting a boat? Because of all the comparisons, do you see? One's got a little bit more and one looks a little bit better and one has this and one has... Well, that's the way it was with the yachts. I didn't realize that yachts are multi-storied that they have story upon story upon story. I'm not sure why you would want to stand way up there to steer the boat, but you can steer it way up there, or you can steer it down at this level, and so forth. <laughs> but I could see that it was more impressive. That, you know. <laughs> um, so it was simply the extreme. It's not that there's anything wrong with it, but you have an extreme, a situation in which people are caught up in jealousy, then of course it is more difficult. That's all that can be said. Not that it's wrong, not that it shouldn't be done, but that it's more difficult. So let's talk about some of these areas. We've talked about many of these before, but that's never stopped me, people. You know, uh, Let's just look at some of these areas and see how the world seeks an extreme in all these areas and how the extreme causes difficulty. I have a friend uh, who's uh, written a book, and uh, he's, he's not a, he doesn't think of himself as a writer. He's in another occupation. But uh, 
he wrote this book, and then he um, started uh, on short stories. And he called me up one day and told me this idea that he had for a short story. And it was the question of how do people get to be rich and beautiful? Some people are rich and beautiful and some people aren't. And he has, he's, he's actually been fascinated with this subject for a long time. I've known him ever since we were in the third grade together. And uh, I think it's probably all right to speak about this at the dispensable church. But uh, he thought it happened on the sperm level. Uh, you know, so that there was some sort of swimming competition that took place, you see, <laughs> as you headed home. We won't go into all the details of this, but <laughs> I know that you're well-educated in this subject. Um, and the whole premise of the short story was, how did this particular sperm get ahead of all the others and get to the mama and the papa that was going to make uh, the little baby beautiful and rich. And um, the interesting thing to me was that he had never questioned whether or not you would want to be rich and beautiful. <laughs> and of course he hadn't because most of the world does not even question that. But many of you believe that you choose your experience. Many of you believe that you have in fact chosen your body in some way. doesn't matter whether or not that's true or not true, but let's just assume for a moment that perhaps it's true, that in some way we choose what we will look at. Well, excuse me. We choose what we will look like. <laughs> uh, do you notice how many people are not ravishingly beautiful? I love these terms, ravishingly beautiful. So-and-so is a knockout, devastatingly attractive, you see. Dressed to kill. <laughs> this should be a key, people, you see. <laughs> the way we describe these things should give us a little hint as to whether or not this is a happy thing. Now, <laughs> do you notice how many people aren't ravishingly beautiful? Why would that be if there is a choice? Now, those of you who were born with terrific looks perhaps already know this, the answer to this question. I can remember when Gail and I first started doing uh, uh, hotline work, uh, crisis intervention work. I remember that one of the first two people that I got on the phone were extremely beautiful women. At least they told me they were. It was all on the phone. I don't... Um, and both of them were reacting very strongly to it by this time in their life. By this time in their life, they were in their late 20s or early 30s. They, they had both been... They, 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 these were separate calls on different occasions, but they happened to come in the early part of this work that we were doing. They were the kind of people that everyone would turn around and look at. And of course, as many people do who have a pleasant appearance, they did everything they could to maximize it, to increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it. Now, this is another thing that goes along with beauty. If you think that you have physical beauty, 
you also think that you have to maximize it. Have you noticed that? Many of you have gone through a beautiful stage. Now, we all know this is what happens, don't we? I'm not insulting anybody. Uh, we all know that we're flowers in a garden, and we bloom, and then we shrivel up. <laughs> I'm sorry, people, but that's just what happens. <laughs> we wilt. Now, <clears throat> that's just what happens. So many of you have bloomed, and you're now in the first stages of wilt. <laughs> <laughs> many, of you, many of you are in the last stages of wealth. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but believe it or not, I bloomed once. <laughs> there was an actually, actually a period in which I bloomed. And uh, it was very early in life. Uh, <laughs> and I can, I can remember seeing as a child uh, a full-page in the Dallas Morning News of me on a rocking horse. Uh, and I think I'd won a contest as Dallas's best looking. I know this is hard to believe people, but <laughs> best, uh, best looking toddler or something. I don't know what it was. Um, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> but I can remember there were still some lingering, uh, bits and pieces of, uh, handsomeness or something, uh, in my, uh, early 20s and so forth. And I remember that I had to maximize this. I had to lift the weights. It wasn't enough that I had whatever it was I was considered to have, but I had to lift the weights and I had, they didn't have Nautilus equipment in those days. It was, it was rough, people, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, and all this stuff. And I had to get the suntan and I had to do this and I had to do that. So that's one of the first things that you notice is that as the Course says, specialness must be protected. If you think you are special in any way, you will try to protect it. You will try to enhance it. You will try to increase it. You will try to keep it from going away. Now, ugliness is the same thing. That's an extreme. And what these two people had done is what so many people do. They see that the one is not making them happy, and so they go to the other extreme. And of course, nothing in this world will make you happy in and of itself. And so taking a new position in the world will not do it. But both of these women had done it in different ways. One woman was no longer combing her hair. It was just in knots. She would not go outside any longer, except if she absolutely had to. And she said that she wore a great big floppy hat and very, very loose clothing. But this was not making her happy and that's why she was, of course, calling uh, on a hotline, because she, at that particular time she was slightly suicidal. The other person had had the same kind of experience, and she had uh, adjusted to it by a tremendous uh, weight gain, a sudden and tremendous weight gain. And she could see why she was doing it, because she now had a family. She had uh, a husband that she loved very much. She had two children. And yet, there was now the call, this calling from other men because she was so attractive. And so her, her solution was to gain a tremendous amount of weight. <clears throat> now, another extreme, there are many, many extremes, and I don't know how many we'll get into. No matter how many we get into, there'll be many more than that we didn't get into. 
I'm just trying to give sort of a, an overlay because if you can see your ego's tendency to always seek, seek the extreme of whatever it is you're doing, and if you can see that the extreme will actually make it more difficult for you to feel the presence of God and to see the innocence of other people and especially to see the innocence of yourself, then you can avoid this in life. And it will be so much, your progress will be so much easier. Your walk home will be so much gentler if you can see through this one little snag that comes under the heading of simplicity to avoid the extremes. Super health is, of course, an extreme that many people are seeking. And I saw I saw that myself. I've told you uh, part of this story. Uh, it was as I was approaching... 40, which was a number of years ago. And I was determined that I was going to be in the best health that I could be in by the time I reached 40. I was going to be in super health. I didn't use that word, but that was the, that was the way I was thinking about it. So since I was 12 years old, I'd been jogging. It was just something that my <clears throat> dad uh, used to take me out doing. You know, I'd just grown up running. In those days, you never saw anyone else running out on the streets. But it's something I'd always done, and it helped me maintain my weight. But I started reading, there was an outbreak of magazines and articles in other magazines on long distances, running long distances, great distances, I forget what the term was, and all the benefits that would come to you if you did that. So instead of my, whatever it was I was running, five or six miles or whatever the thing was I was running a day, I started increasing it until I got up to, to 18 miles a day in sand, in, in arroyos. In addition to that, I was doing uh, 100 sit-ups and I was lifting weights and I was doing chin-ups and I was on and on and on. I was devoting about a third of my life to this. And as I told you before, I was out, I had not reached 40 yet. And I wasn't yet physically perfect. But nevertheless, I was running out one day and I asked myself, why am I doing this? And I couldn't think of an answer. I stopped and I couldn't think of why I was doing this. And so three months short of 40, I switched. <laughs> and it was about that time that, um, well, actually it was a little after that time. I, I, I think I... I rode on my good health for a year or two or something like that. But then um, Gail got pregnant with John and started gaining weight. And I started gaining weight with her pound for pound. <laughs> she stopped at 40 pounds and I went on 60. Um, and stopped exercising and stopped paying attention to my diet and everything. Well, this is a typical ego solution. And of course... All it ended up doing was making me sick eventually. So to try to make yourself ugly or unattractive or to try to make yourself beautiful, more beautiful than you are, that's the key. To make yourself more beautiful than you are makes life more difficult for you. Let's take wealth. This is not understood. People seek extreme wealth. 
All their lives, they may seek extreme wealth. They may never come anywhere close to it, but they're always seeking to have more money than they have. Or the other extreme of poverty, of avoiding all symbols of money, to having an actual fear of anything that seems to spell having money. So they won't get the car that would be best for them because it may appear to have cost money or live in the neighborhood that they would really like to live in because it may appear to be an expensive neighborhood, even though that's not their reason for living in that particular neighborhood. Or wear a particular coat that would keep them warmer, or whatever else it may be. So it doesn't matter which of these extremes you seek. But more often, it's the seeking of more money. And it is simply a fact that to have extreme wealth makes life more difficult for you, not not easier. And all you have to do is look around and see the people who have extreme wealth, and it is obvious that their life is more difficult. This does not mean that a person with extreme wealth cannot be happy, for of course they can be. There is no divine rule here. There's no law here. It is simply a condition of the world. That whenever you stand out in any way, you call the wrath of the world upon you. You call, you see, what we think is that we can attract only select emotions of the world. So we know that there are certain emotions that go along with physical beauty or with uh, great health or great physical strength or with all, all these other extremes that we'll talk about, some of which we'll talk about. We know that certain emotions are attracted, and we like those emotions, we think. We think those are nice emotions to have come our way. But we don't realize you cannot select the emotions that you wish the world to bestow upon you. When you stand out in any way, when you have sought an extreme position in any way, you call all of the emotions of the world upon you. That is why, for example, people who uh, seek more and more recognition generally become unhappier and unhappier. Not because there's anything wrong with recognition. There is nothing wrong with it. It's completely innocent. But to seek more and more and to be very recognized... Oh, well, I'll tell you. It's become difficult for me in Santa Fe because of the work that I've done in this church and so forth. I'm, I have some recognition in Santa Fe. And this I do not find pleasant. It's, it's very hard for me to have this go on. I cannot relate to someone who, if they think I am somebody, or if they think they're somebody they've got to get to know, or avoid, or whatever they need. <laughs> and many of you know this phenomenon. And yet we will go to a party and try to actually build this image in other people's minds to make them think that we are somehow special. And if you evoke this maniacal gleam in someone's eye and suddenly they do think you're special, there is now a complete wall between you and this individual. There is no chance of friendship, deep abiding friendship. It will not happen. And this has been of great distress to me in Santa Fe, how many people I cannot be friends with. I cannot 
I cannot talk to them in a normal way because they look upon me as some, somebody. This is, of course, one of the reasons why uh, I must seek a, a place in which I haven't done this to myself so that it can be a little easier and I can write the books that I need to write. It's one of the reasons. Well, when I got up to the San Juan Islands, uh, there wasn't this factor at all. Uh, there were only two people up there who had any recognition when I introduced myself. But immediately I thought, well, maybe I can eliminate all. And I came up with the idea of calling myself Ed Prather. <laughs> I only admit this to just you people. You don't go out and say this. <laughs> I know this is proof of complete insanity, but I said, Gail, what if I, if we did move here, I could call myself Ed Prather and there wouldn't be any of this stuff. There wouldn't even be the two people. So we got together and Ed is my middle name, Edmondson. My full name is, you ready for this, people? <laughs> Hugh Edmondson Prather III. <laughs> you can see why I started to Hugh Prather. So. <laughs> um, so I could just call myself Ed Prather. So we got together and we prayed about it. And then we saw quickly what would happen. And that is, I would be going to an extreme, and therefore I would be calling the emotions of the world upon me. So what would happen? People would find out that my name wasn't really Ed Prather, and why was I doing this? Do you see what would happen? And do you see the people who have tried to escape totally any recognition? Do you see what's happened to them? Howard Hughes possibly is the extreme example. But have you seen other people who hide out? The press becomes absolutely fascinated with them and runs after them and everything. Because an extreme position has been sought. Let's take beautiful possessions. Gail and I have a beautiful house. And we are never again going to have a beautiful house. We have finally seen what happens if you have a beautiful house. A beautiful, beautiful house. It requires a tremendous amount of work. This is why so many people, if this is in fact the way it happens, have chosen not to have a beautiful body when they come into this world. Because it takes so much work. Now, of course, it doesn't have to. But it's just very difficult not to get caught up into thinking that you've got to do... There's got to be a lot of maintenance and repair, you see. And so our, our brick floors, they're just... Plain old Kenny brick. The brick is so cheap that they don't even make it anymore. But that wasn't enough for Gail and me in the old days. We had to put this special coat. We had to have them sanded so they look like they're 100 years old. You see. And then we put this special coating. We just found out that, uh, what's the product? Mop and Glow works as well. We, we, <laughs> For 10 years, we've been buying this horribly expensive stuff to put on our brick floors. We had to go all the way to Albuquerque for it. We ran out, and we tried mop and glow in one room. We could not tell the difference. It smelled the same. It looked the same. Everything was the same. What we should have done is just left the bricks as bricks instead of making them look like polished glass or something, you see. And then the countertops. They couldn't just be regular countertops. They had to be walnut back in the old days, you see. 
And the walnut has to have a special finish because it stains. And so, but you can't put uh, urethane uh, on on walnut in Santa Fe, plastic on wood. And so, of course, they have to be oiled with tongue oil. You see, but then you begin begin worrying about where did the tongues come from? <laughs> and is this truly spiritual? <clears throat> I'll just, we'll just do one more extreme. One of the things I was so happy to hear Jerry and Diane say was how normal everybody was at the dispensable church. <laughs> Those, that was just music to my ears. That they just, it was just loving, good people. I was so happy to hear that. That there hasn't, that this little church has not developed some new affect some new set of words, vocabulary, or behavior, you see. We've tried so hard not to do that. Nothing strange. But, of course, you know that even on a spiritual path, there can be this kind of extreme. The extreme of, of how you speak, of what subjects you must talk about, as to whether or not you can be friends with someone if they don't talk about these subjects. If they don't use the word karma or uh, OBEs, out-of-the-body experiences or something like that, if they don't talk about paths and spirituality, if they don't even use the word peace, I'm actually avoiding the word peace in the book that I'm using. I'm using it very, very sparingly because of this same thing. It's been carried to an extreme. We use it here because we can use it over and over and there can be a sense of it, a sense of the peace of God and people know what we're speaking about when we talk about that here. To try to be... people. There are people who have senses of humor, natural a natural sense of humor. And haven't you seen this carried to an extreme? Now the person has to be funny on all occasions. On all occasions, they have to be funny. And so what happens? Does this get them more? Does this make them happier? No, it calls the emotions of the world upon them. Now they are avoided. Now they're not considered to be a friend. Now they're, con now they're considered to be superficial. Or possibly even more uh, common on the spiritual path is being serious. And now we have to be serious on all occasions. There are many people who would come to this church if we were serious. I met a woman who said that she did not, she went to one service when we were over at the girls' club and that I was too jolly. <laughs> and now something had happened and she realized it was all right, you know, to be jolly. As a matter of fact, she liked being jolly. Uh, so she could sit in, in one of these uh, things. <laughs> and so we must be serious on all occasions it's an extreme and it's an affect it's superficial it has nothing to do with the peace of God therefore in this little aspect of happiness that we're talking about today the aspect of simplicity Look at your life, and I'm going to ask you to do that now. If you'll close your eyes, 
and just look at your life. Look at your diet. Are there certain foods you must have? Must to fulfill your self-image, must you eat certain foods? Avoid certain foods. Must your house be a certain way? Must your house evoke envy when other people come into it? And is this a happy thing? Is this a happy thing for your house to make people jealous? Must your body evoke envy? And is this truly happy? Look at your conversation. Must your vocabulary, your terms, your knowledge single you out, make you special? And is this a happy thing to set your, yourself apart, to let other people know you know more about certain subjects? Look at your life. Must you have a certain kind of car? Must you have certain kinds of friends? Are there a few people who would be your friend for life if you would only let them? But somehow you can't be seen with this kind of person, whether the person is considered on the low end or the high end. Must you have only low-end or high-end friends? Must your children be better behaved than other children? And is this a happy thing for anybody? Look how much work it takes. Look how unhappy it makes your children. And does it really make anyone love you more, feel warm and comfortable and close around you? Now, I'm going to be silent for just a minute or two and think about other aspects that we haven't talked about in your life. And see, could this aspect be more simple? Am I seeking some extreme? And does it make me happy? And is it getting me anything? And has it ever gotten me anything to seek an extreme in this area of my life? Okay, you can open your eyes. One of the things that we uncovered under rocks in the islands are, were little sea anemones. Uh, these particular ones sort of blossomed out like flowers. They were little tentacles. And the tentacles were sticky and, and any little tiny little fish or plankton or anything that swam by would stick to the tentacles. Uh, and I've completely forgot what that is supposed to illustrate. <laughs> well, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe he'll come to me in a minute. It was a good point, people. <laughs> Be inspired by it anyway. <laughs> So you've heard the term, the golden mean. Ah, I remember the point. <laughs> Simplicity simply allows us 
what we would do, John and I would put our hands down and we passed our hands through the tentacles. Now, this is not a good thing to do with some sea anemone, whatever it is. Uh, Sea cucumbers, that was what they were called. This is not a good thing to do with some of them uh, because they could sting you. But these didn't sting very much. Um, And so we tried doing that. Passed our fingers through it. Whereas the little fish couldn't do that. They would get stuck to the tentacles. We could feel the little bit of stickiness. You are not going to eliminate all the stickiness. But you can get where you can just pass your fingers through the tentacles. And simplicity is one of the things that allows you to do that. Everyone here, whether he or her knows this, is walking home to God. That's all we are doing. No matter what else we think we are doing in this world, that is the only thing we are doing every minute of the day. We are either walking into the arms of our Father, or we have turned away for a moment, and we are losing ground. And those are the only two things we're doing. Everything else is an illusion. And what you wish, of course, is to have the shortest and easiest trip that you can. Why stay in a slaughterhouse any longer than you need to? And so make it easy on yourself. Pass gently through the tentacles. Don't be afraid to be simple. Don't be afraid to be uneven, to appear uneven to other people. To make peace your single goal and to change what you're doing in the midst of it. If it's more peaceful, to change it. But be absolutely consistent with the peace. Put your eyes on the eyes of Christ. Look straight into his face and walk towards him and toward nothing else. Anything that distracts you, see if you can eliminate it. There will be a few things that you cannot eliminate because we are still in the world and there will still be the tentacles. But there is a way of passing through them simply and easily. And your heart will begin to soar because God will not just be a word in your mouth. It will be a presence. It will be a cloak of warmth that is wrapped around you and cannot leave you. And you will know the innocence of other people. We say that each child of God is innocent, but we don't believe it. And yet it is a fact. And it can be seen. It can be seen as clearly as we think we see each other's guilt and failings and what people are doing wrong and how they should change. As clearly as we think we see that, we can see their sweetness and their innocence. We can see how hard they work. We can see their progress. And we can see the certainty of their destination. We are walking home. We are hand in hand, even though we don't realize it. God is reaching out to us as he always has. And we're beginning to feel the presence of these arms 
that are there to welcome us. So don't be afraid to make your walk easier. Don't be afraid to save yourself some time. I'm so glad to be back here with you. Gail and I both are. I was thinking of all the dear people here before I came to the service this morning. We are a family. We are walking home together. And let's keep on trying. Let's keep on working. Let's make this coming week the best one ever. Let's try harder this week than ever before. Let's forgive ourselves more quickly this coming week than we ever have before. Let's see the mistake and begin again more quickly than we ever have before. And people, by next Sunday, we will be that much closer to home.